Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. Great to see familiar faces and to welcome some new friends to our Parsha class. Our series is sponsored, uh, the series is sponsored for the year by Becky and Avi Katz, a family memory of David Grossman, Li'ilu Nishmas David Benachem Manish, and we remain very, very grateful to the Katzes. This morning, Sheer is also co-sponsored anonymously as a thank you to uh, BRS for all the wonderful Shi'urim, which we are grateful and honored and privileged to be able to share together with you. We have the privilege this week of reading and of learning Parshas Kiseitze, page 1046 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. A reminder, if you've not signed up yet for our one-on-one campaign, a minute a day of learning, a dollar a day, in the merit of Esti Moskowitz, Esther Tilabasari Al-Tsipora. Last week we had Jonathan Donat, the founder of Daily Giving on Behind the Bima, and uh, he spoke all about that amazing, amazing organization and program. Many responded, and even more money is being given out every day. You could join brsonline.org slash one and one. Join and learn a minute a day, give a dollar a day, and you can be the difference maker, please God, in a refuah shlema for Esti and all those who are... When you go out to war against your enemies, and God places the enemy in your hands, and you... Uh, capture into captivity a woman. I saw an interesting question we will not get into, but I share it with you for your careful consideration. Sounds like when, which part of the war? Not a trick question. The beginning. When you go out. And the text then continues to tell us, and the enemy is placed in your hand. When does that happen? That's the end of a war. You persevere, you triumph, you win when you capture the enemy. So why do we couch capturing the enemy as as the very beginning of the war? Chronologically, it doesn't seem to make sense in the way the Pasuk is presented, but that is not our topic for this morning. Torah continues, And among those who are taken captive, you find a beautiful woman, a woman who is objectively beautiful. And you long for her. You desire her. You take her to you as a wife. You bring her into your home. And now, rather than try to promote attraction and intimacy and romance and love, Torah endorses the exact opposite. You should bring her into your home, shave her head, let her nails grow. She becomes repulsive, undesirous to you in order to break that relationship. Torah tells us why. It's a non-Jewish captive. This is somebody you take as a result of a war and normally she's out of reach. Normally she is somebody who is not, who's out of bounds. And yet the Torah here gives permission. Why? Rashi quotes, Lo dibra Torah Because the Torah speaks to a person's Yetzahara. Torah understands a soldier at war. And we know throughout time that soldiers and armies and at war, their moral boundaries were somewhat blurred, maybe not in the context of war, but in relationships, wherever they were, they are a soldier who is on the front line, a soldier who's fighting, maybe even put in a position to have to kill in order to defend. That soldier is nourishing the most carnal part of who they are. And with that comes out often an animal instinct, an animal personality. So much of the soldier emerges and comes out. So the Torah understands that this soldier has certain drive, certain temptation. And the Torah speaks to, Lo Torah Ella, Keneged Yetzahara. 
The Torah is not describing or legislating, regulating a utopian society, a perfect world. Torah is not talking to a world the way we wish it were. Torah is talking to the world the way it is. The reality of the world the way it is. And the reality is we live with temptation. We're made up of a godly soul, a godly spirit, but we also have an animal impulse, an animal drive, an animal desire. The Torah doesn't say, don't be an animal, be a godly soul. Torah doesn't say it's illegitimate or dismiss it or purge it or deny it. Torah says we live in a real world. We're real people. We're, we're fallible. We make mistakes. We have failures and shortcomings. And lo dibra Torah ela keneged yetzahara. Torah is not speaking to a perfect world, speaking to a real world, a real world. It's interesting. The Gemara lists several things that were created ben hashmashos. Gemara gives us a list of things that God created even before the world was created. Ben hashmashos means on the eve, on the cusp of creation, God introduced to the world certain ideas, certain objects that transcend the world, that are so critical they are core components of the world they were created even before creation. The donkey of Bilaam, for example, and many others. One of the things that God created before the world was tshuva. Tshuva. On that list of things is tshuva. What is tshuva? Repentance, repair, return, restoring. Why? Why did he create that before the creation of the world? It's a very deep and a very profound message and lesson there that Hashem didn't create tshuva as a concession. It's not that he created the world and he put us in it and he said, look, it's a perfect world, be perfect people. Turns out we struggled. Turns out we have temptation. Turns out we tripped on ourselves. So he said, what can I do? I have no choice as a response, a reaction, as a concession. I'll give you tshuva. I'll give you this means, this medium to repair. No. God said, even before the creation of the world, I know you're not perfect. I know you're fallible. I know mistakes will happen. I know mistakes will come. And therefore, he creates tshuva before he creates the world. It's very validating. I find it very empowering that when we make mistakes, there's a way back. Don't compound those mistakes. Don't become disheartened and despair. Don't give up and feel like an utter failure. Don't feel like I'm supposed to be perfect. Why can't I measure up? But recognize and realize we're imperfect people in an imperfect world. And God gave us the perfect tools to navigate and to come back. He gave us tshuva even before the creation of the world. I just mentioned the other night at a chuppah that I had this chust of Masada Kedushin. One of the reasons that we break, I said this in another shir recently, oh, in, in the Amunah shir. One of the reasons we break the glass under the chuppah. Many reasons are offered, many are given. We're not going to review them all, but one I find powerful is we turn to the chasen and kala. We say right now under the chuppah, everything seems majestic and beautiful and royal and regal. And you're madly in love and all you see is each other as perfect. And even the imperfections you dismiss as, as wonderful, cute and adorable idiosyncrasies. But you need to know before you leave the chuppah, we break something. Because we want you to know something's going to break. Life's not perfect. It's not smooth sailing. It's not linear and upward. Life's ups and downs. There are moments of being whole and moments of feeling broken. So before we leave this chuppah and before you have this illusion that you're going to have some utopian and perfect marriage and world, and then what happens? The first sign of tension or trouble, the first fight, 
oh, I guess I'm out, I guess it's over, I guess it's not meant to be, because in the books I read, the movies I watched, that's not supposed to happen. So what do we do before we leave the chuppah? We break a glass, we smash a glass. Something breaks even before you begin. To know there'll be broken moments, that Hashem gave us tshuva before He created the world. We acknowledge brokenness even before you walk away from your chuppah. Lo dibra Torah ela keneged yetzahara. The Torah was not authored as utopian literature. The Torah is real world. How to navigate a real world that's complicated and that's filled with complicated things and nuance and, and, and gray. Shem ena kadosh baruch matira yisa'ena be'isar. If Hashem wouldn't have allowed it, then this soldier would have indulged their impulse and would have pursued and married this woman and would have done it in a forbidden way. So I saw a beautiful insight. Reb Leib Lopian, the Rosh Hashiv of Gateshead. HaKavani Yishem Yisayana Be'esor Shuv Yargish Pa'atzmo Shu Ovud Ve'ein lo Yeshua Kvar Ba'kodesh Baruch Hu Ve'yelech Midechi Lidechi Lechachman Al-Islam How does we really understand the Rashi? The Torah doesn't describe a perfect world, a utopian society. Lo Dibra Torah Ela Keneged Yetzahara Good, I understand. The Torah is speaking to our Yetzahara. But then the Rashi says, had God not allowed it, we would have gone forward with it and done it bi'isr. How is that speaking to the Yetzahara? The Yetzahara wanted her. Yetzahara was going to take her. Yetzahara was going to take her in a prohibited way. So now the Yetzahara is taking her in a permissible way. But it's still the Yetzahara that drives this relationship and this pursuit. So what did we accomplish by making it permissible? So he says such a powerful insight. What would have happened if the soldier would have taken the woman Be'isr? What would have happened if the soldier took the woman when he was prohibited to? You know what our nature, our tendency is? Our instinct is that when we violate that boundary, when we do something wrong, we give up on ourselves and it spirals down. We say, you know, I'm not competent, I'm not capable. Clearly, I'm a reject. So why bother trying? Why bother even doing it? We see this all the time. Somebody who watches something inappropriate, acts out inappropriately. Someone who's imperfect outside of shul says, what am I going to go to Minyan? What am I going to learn? Go to the daf? What am I going to go to the women's midrashah? But I speak Lashon Hara, or I'm struggling with this other area. So we see ourselves as inadequate, and then that spirals down. So that's the little Dibra Torah, Elekineged, Yetzahara. Had you thought it was Asr and you crossed that line, now you give up on yourself, and you would... You would become even further distanced. That's what it means. We do all we can to avoid a person seeing themselves as I'm an avaryan. I'm a transgressor. I'm a violator. I'm a lowlife. So if I'm a lowlife, I might as well be a lowlife. Nebuch. There are so many people lost to Yiddishkeit who had a negative experience with a teacher, with a Rebbe, with a parent who said to them, if you do that, you're a shegetz, you're a shkatz, you're a guy, you're an avaryan, you're a lowlife. So they say to themselves, I, I, I did that. I had that yitzhahara. I guess now I'm a shegetz. I might as well be a shegetz. I might as well be a shegetz. I guess if I'm a shegetz, I, I might as well live like a shegetz. And that's a nebuch. We don't believe that. That's not true. That's not true. There's no such thing. Yitamu chata'im in our, it's not chotim. We believe that we're good people and pure people and godly people who make mistakes. And we have to eliminate and purge the bad behavior. We're not bad people. So if a person feels I did something be'isr, they'll see themselves as an avaryan. I'm a shegetz. If I'm a shegetz, I might as well be a shegetz. 
We say, you're not a Sheikitz. You're a prince, a princess. You're a holy child of Hashem. You're a bento or a basa. You made a mistake. You made a mistake. You're human. You're fallible. You made a mistake. But it's okay. You can come back. The gift and the beauty of tshuva. Rashi says, "Lo dibur toli kenegay tzahara imena kadosh baruch matilis ane beiser avol nasa sofolio sona." If you do marry her, though, now the Torah says it's permissible. So first of all, we eliminated the forbidden fruit component. Now that it's permissible, you won't want it as badly, because if you want her and you follow through and you marry her, you'll come to hate her. Shenemar acharav kisiyan aliish v'sofol laholid bimena ben sora umora lachach nismuchu parshios halalu. Rashi says, "Why do we have the juxtaposition of this case of the soldier?" who pursues a relationship that's not really appropriate for him. And that follows closely by the Ben Sora or Mora, the rebellious child, the child who goes and veers off the path. So Rav Isaac Sher, the Rosh of Slobodka says, Mikach in Chidush HaAlev, She'atorah dibra keneged Yitzhahara, Ve'itira bo'ofana misuyamim davara asur la'odam, She'meina kodesh baruch ha'matira, Ya'asana be'eser. This is the one place where the Torah says, we allow you to do it, why? Because if we wouldn't say it's permissible, you would do it anyway, and you would do it peser. Says Rav Isaac Sher, what does that tell us about every other place when the Torah says you're not allowed to do something? What does it mean? It means we have the ability to observe Hashem's law. This was a test we couldn't pass. So Hashem says, tell you what, ki it's fine. Hashem says, I'll allow it. Why? Because if I disallow it, that would be a test you can't pass. I can't give you a test you can't pass. I'll allow it. Says Rav Isaac Sher, what does it say about every other Isser? You could pass it. We have it in us. We can be disciplined. We can be dignified. We can rise to that level, to that challenge. We could be those people we're meant to be, that we're capable of being. If this is the one exception, then it means... Every other mitzvah is the rule. And what is the rule? The rule is we have it within us. We have that ability. We can rise to that occasion. What happens with this uh, woman? Torah continues. We do everything we can to make her unattractive and repulsive, to make her long and miss her home, and to make you not follow through and consummate this relationship. We remove her garment, she sits in your house, she cries for her father and mother for a full month, and after she shaves her head, lets her nails grow, cries for her mommy and daddy for a full month, and you still want it? The Torah is willing to bank you all. The Zohar HaKadosh says on these words, She cries for her mother and father, What does Yerach Yamim mean? A month. We give her that time. You watch it, you witness it, you're aggravated by it. We make that atmosphere a month. Zak the Zohar HaKadosh says the Zohar, Yerech Yamim Da Elul. Which month? This is an allusion to the month of Elul. What does that mean? The laws of Eshus Yifas only apply in the month of Elul? Is that what it means? Rav Nassan Wachtvogel was the Mashkiach of Lakewood. Says the following. It's not what it means. What's the Zohar alluding to? Yerach Yamim. We know that the Yamim Naraim, the high holidays, are called Yerach Eisanim. That's an allusion, a name. So Yerach Yamim is an allusion to the month of Elul. What does it mean? We're not suggesting 
We are referencing, we're crying. What is, what is driving those tears? Regret, remorse, guilt, shame. Maybe those are good qualities, maybe bad qualities. We'll talk more about that as Elul progresses and into the Yom Narayim. Not necessarily good, maybe parts of them good. Guilt, shame, regret, remorse, but that's not what we're talking about. Why is she crying? She's not sitting there crying out of regret, remorse, shame, and guilt. Why is she crying? The Pasuk says, Ubach sa'es, avia ve'es, ima. Who does she miss? Her mother and father. Why is she crying? Because she's far away. She's far apart. And what does she want? She longs to go home. I just want to be close to my mother and father. I just want to feel their embrace. I just want to be in their shadow. I just want to be close to them. Bechi shall his karvas labore olam. Bechi shall ga'aguim la olam shall kedusha. Vashras hashchina kedusha. Vashkarvas la shem. Says Rav Nasan Vachtvogel. What is the Zohar telling us? Yerach yamim. Do elu. What is the atmosphere of Elul? Elul's not walking around beating ourselves up. Elul's not knocking ourselves down. Elul's not thinking less of ourselves. Elul's not about guilt and shame. What is Elul about? Shem, I've strayed far away. I've grown distant. I've veered off the path. We should feel a sense of crying. I just want to be close to you again. I just want to be close. The preparation for Yom Adin. You're my father. Abba, Tati, Dad. I feel so far away. It's been so long since we spoke. We haven't spent any time together. I just want to be close again. So unlike what we think that Elul is a harsh time, a fear, shaking and trembling. Elul is a time that we're worried about consequence and accountability. That Elul is regret, remorse, shame, guilt. Says Rav Nassim Vachtval, Elul is about love and Elul is about longing. The tears are not tears of guilt and shame. The tears are tears of, I miss you. I want to come home. I want to feel close. I want to feel your protection. I want your wisdom and your guidance. I want to feel I'm under your shade. I long for you. Ka'aguim. I miss you. I want to come home. Mamela avaso love, takrivo love. That missing, that longing is the first step to coming home, to coming home. We come from a position of love, not a fear. We return. When you love your father and you want to come home, but your father says, but we've got to repair the relationship. We've got some work to do. You're accountable for some mistakes you make. You say, no problem. I'm in. I'll work on it. I'll do it because I want to come home because I miss you. But it begins not with fear. It begins with love. It begins the Elul. Elul is ubachsa esavia. We cry because we miss our father. I'll give you a little preview, sitter snippets. Fast forward a little bit. Why is Hashivenu Avinu Lesorasecha before Slach Lanu Avinu? Why is Hashivenu first? Maybe first we should say Slach Lanu Avinu Hashem, forgive me. And now Hashivenu Avinu, bring me close to your Torah, Harotzeh B'tshuva. Why is Hashivenu Harotzeh B'tshuva before Slach Lanu Avinu? Why? I want some beautiful insight. We're going to repeat this sitter snippets. I'm giving you the warning and I won't feel bad about it. Why? Because slach lanu means I made a mistake and you're gonna hold me accountable and now I'm tittering, I'm, I'm, I'm trembling. What's the punishment gonna be? Please, slach lanu, please. Judge, let me off the hook. Judge, give me time served. Judge, purge my file. Let me go. Hashivenu avinu means I wanna come close to you. I made a mistake that put distance between me and you. 
It pushed me far away, and I longed to come close. We say Hashivenu Avinu first before Slachlanu because Hashem, whether forgive me or not, whether you let me off the hook or not, whether you remove the punishment or not, I want to come close to you. So it's not Hashivenu on condition that Slachlanu. It's not if you forgive me and remove and eliminate the punishment, then I want to come close. I want to come close. I hope also that I'll earn favor and forgiveness that you'll eliminate the punishment. But even if you don't, and even if I have to be held accountable, Hashivenu Avinu. I want to come close. Shivenu Avinu. Ela Nila Dodi Dodi Li. We're working on Avinu. You're my father. You're my parent. I miss you. I love you. That should be the theme and the atmosphere that we create during this, during this time. Perk of Chaval of Pasuk Yudzain. Kiesa Bechor Ben Asnuah Yakir Lasis Lopishnaim. Bechol Asher Yimatzei Lo. Kihur Eshiso No Lo Meshpat Habechora. Here the Torah tells us in the laws of inheritance. Man has two wives, one he loves, one he hates. This is the precursor to the Ben Sora Umora. The halacha is that the eldest child gets Pishnayim. Not the eldest child, I just said that inaccurately. The eldest son. If the oldest child is a Bechor, is a boy, then the boy gets Pishnayim. Why? That seems terribly unfair. Because he has the good fortune of the birth order, he gets a double portion. What does that mean, he gets a double portion? It means that if there are four children, you divide the estate in five, and he gets two-fifths, and the other three brothers get one-fifth. That's how you calculate. That's how you calibrate. But why? Why should he get pishnaim? Habachor ben pishnaim. Why should he get pishnaim? Otzer plos ha-Torah. A stick book I love that has obscure, fascinating, interesting ideas on the parsha. Very hard to find on Dvarim. Very hard to find. But my buddy Mendy Fishman finds farm that are hard to find. And I got a package in the mail last week. He sent it to me. So thank you as always. He quotes here the Balaturim, who says an amazing remez. Remez apelo apelo binyam bechor notal pishnayim. The word bechor. Every letter of the word bechor is a double letter. Bez is two, two times one. Chaf is twenty, two times ten. Resh is two hundred. Two, twenty, two hundred. Implicit, embedded in the word bechor is the notion of double. Double. The notion of double. Ah, you'll say, but we spell Bechor with a Vav. Vav is six. How is that double? Two, twenty, two hundred. I'm in. You lose me at the Vav. How do you spell Vav? If you were to spell out the word, the name Vav, how do you spell it? Vav, Vav. Vav, Vav is two Vavs. That's Kfula. It's double. Double Vav is double. So Bez is double. And Chaf is double, Resh is double, and Vav is spelled Vav Vav, which is double. And they say in the name of the Gra, who says in the name of the Sifri, The Sifri very enigmatically simply says, How do you know the eldest son gets a double portion? As his name, so is he. <laughs> what? What does that mean? That's how you understand the Gra. And that's how you can understand the Gra's interpretation of the Sifri, his name. Why does he get a double portion? It's not biased, it's not discriminating against the other siblings. In that society at that time, it was structured in such a way that the Bechor bore the responsibility of taking the place of the parent, of the father. If the father created a dowry for the daughters, supported them until they were married, guided the sons until they were taught a livelihood, taught them how to swim, bless you, so the Bechor took on the responsibility of the father. 
How? What enabled him to do so? How did he have, how did he have the resources to do so? He inherited a double portion, not because he was privileged. He didn't use that double portion on a yacht or a private plane. He didn't use that double portion to upgrade himself while the rest of his siblings sat in the back and coach. It meant he had a double portion because he had a greater responsibility for the younger siblings. Today, society is not structured the same way. Often it is, but not necessarily. So today, Postgum actually say, I have Postgum have told me directly, that when a person is doing their estate planning, they should specifically not structure it, even though the Torah says, boys inherit, girls don't. The oldest son gets a double portion more than the other sons. Why? It will create animosity. You do not want your children fighting when you're gone. You want them feeling a great sense of unity, which is why a person should do estate planning. Someone recently asked me who lost a loved one very uh, abruptly, their father, and the father did not have a will, father did not do estate planning, and he has an older brother, and the older brother says, he didn't do any estate planning, didn't leave a will, I guess we go back to the halacha from the Torah, I get a double portion. Kishmo keinu, bachor, double portion. So one of the younger brothers asked me, is that true, is that accurate halachically? If there was no plan, do we, do we revert back to the way the Torah says? Should he get the, does he get the double portion? So today it's interesting though, and we have halachically creative ways to avoid. We're not violating the Torah's prescription. If you're more interested in the subject, you could find online for the afternoon kolel. We did like six or eight shiurim on the Torah laws of Yerusha. How do we make sure that daughters get an even portion to sons, even though from the Torah daughters don't technically inherit? Their husbands should provide for them, and the sons have to provide for their wives. Again, Nothing is discriminating. It was a society that was structured economically very differently. But now that we are different, how do we ensure equity to avoid fights? So there are halachic legal loopholes that we use, but I thought it was interesting that the word bechor, kishmo kenu, has that notion of double embedded in it. Perachav beis pasuk aleph. Turn the page. Now we have Perchas Kisetze as a long litany of what seems to be various and diverse Halachas, and one of our challenges is to find the commonality. What is the thread that binds all of these diverse halachas throughout? Perach of Beis Pasagalaf. Lo siresh or achicha or osao nidachim vehisalamta mehem hashev teshivaim leachicha. Don't see the ox of your brother or sheep or his goat cast off. You can't find an animal. Your friend lost their animal. Their animal veered off the path. And you're going to vehisalamta mehem. You're going to cover your eyes. You're going to look away. You're going to pretend you don't see it. You see that all the time. There's a spill. There's garbage on the floor. So people, you know, walk sideways. They look the other way. They pretend they don't see it. Nobody wants to have to go to the trouble of inconveniencing themselves. Torah says, inconvenience yourself. Hashev teshivem le'achicha. This is the Torah source for the mitzvah of Hashavah Saveda. Hashavah Saveda. I've said many times and I really believe the beauty of our sacred Torah and a Torah society, society guided, informed, and inspired by Torah values. What does it mean to be a good American? What's a good American? You vote, you didn't murder, you didn't kill, you didn't steal, you didn't rape, you didn't pillage, you don't discriminate, pay your taxes. You're a good American. You're a good American. Are you actually good? You're not good, you're just not bad. Really, we should put you on a pedestal because you didn't murder, rape, pillage, riot. That makes you good? 
our standard, our, our bar is very low. Not American, any secular society, European, every country, to be a good citizen is just to not do bad. Torah comes along and says, no, to be a good citizen, you have to be good. You have to be good. According to American law, if I find a lost object, do I have to look for its owner? I can't steal, but I can walk by it. I can pretend I don't see it. I don't have to stop and inconvenience myself and trouble myself. If somebody's having a heart attack in the middle of the street, I can step right over them, which happens in many cities in America today. And I'm not obligated to stop and to try to revive them or save them or intervene on their behalf. You don't have to actually be good. You just have to not be bad. Torah comes along and says, no, 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 no. We're trying to create a godly society. In a godly society, our bar is not just don't be bad. Our standard is be good. Be good. You can't stand idly by while your brother's blood is threatened. It's being spilled. You've got to intervene, intercede. You've got to do whatever you can. That's true not only for your brother or sister's blood. It's true for their objects. The Gemara gives an example. You see there's a flood and it washes away your neighbor's property and you can grab it. Before it disappears, you've got to grab it. Your neighbor, you could bring in their furniture because, God forbid, a hurricane's coming. You bring in their furniture. Means not only their being, but it means their property. So similarly here, hashev tishivem, Yeah, it's inconvenient. You found that lost object. I'm not even suggesting you want to take it for yourself. You want to pretend you didn't see it. Hisalamta mehem. You can't pretend you didn't see it. You have to return it. The Orachayim Hakadosh has a beautiful insight on this. The Orachayim Hakadosh says, if that's true for their object, and we're not going to take the time because we've quoted this previously. You can look at the Orachayim inside. He actually analyzed each word. Shor, seyau, nidachim, achicha, hisalamta. He says it's true for objects. You know what's true for all the more? If your friend, your neighbor lost something, you got to give it back. What if your neighbor is the lost object? What if your neighbor is a lost soul? And you could return that neighbor to achicha. God is achicha. God is our brother. And he lost. Nidachim. Nidach, nedach means a lost, wandering. There are lost souls. We live in a county, Palm Beach County, has a quarter of a million Jews. Boca has 130,000 Jews, 92% of which are unaffiliated. And do you know what it means to be affiliated? If you work out at the JCC and you never step foot in a synagogue for the purpose of that demographic study, you're affiliated. And despite that low definition, 92% unaffiliated rate. Every time you shop at supermarket, you're running into a lost soul who bagels you. So, Vesalamta, I'm guilty as well. You're on the line at Costco and someone behind you goes, Oy vey! You know? When is, this happens this time of year, by the way. You'll be out, someone say, they'll see you say, when is Rosh Hashanah again? Yeah. Or on a Monday, good Shabbos. It's Monday. They, they want you to know you're Jewish. That's what bageling means. They want you to know they're Jewish. They're screaming out, I'm lost. Help me come back to my owner. Help me back to Achicha, to your brother. So, you're going to bury your head? You're going to ignore? You're going to pretend you didn't hear that? You're going to invite them for a Shabbos meal? You're going to tell them about Rabbi Brody's explanatory service? Are you going to do what you can to bring them back? The Orachayim HaKadr says, if you have to return property to its owner, then imagine the obligation, the responsibility, the opportunity that we have to return or help. We can't take responsibility, but to do what we can to help return people Lost souls, it's the language we use in the vernacular. We describe someone, people describe themselves as, I'm a lost soul. 
people are lost souls. We have to bring them back. But I want to quote a Megid Yosef, Yosef Suratskin. Megid Yosef says the following. Chazal tells the Gemara in Kedushan of Beis, Chipos ha'ish achar bas zugo. The halacha is based on the assumption, sociological assumption, that the man pursues the woman. I know we're living in new times, bizarre times, unfamiliar times. I'm not sure what you're allowed to say, what you can't say, and my partial class get canceled. Whatever, you'll still come. But the Gemara says that built into the psyche is that the man pursues and the woman is the pursued. The man chases and the woman is the one who's chased. The man is the hunter and she is the hunted. Not the hunt comparison, but in the very psyche of a person. And the Gemara there says, what's it like? Like a person who's lost something and they're searching their longing for it. At birth, even before birth, 40 days before we were even conceived, a heavenly voice went out and already proclaimed, so-and-so will marry so-and-so. Why is it so tough to find it then? Why do we have so many shidduch initiatives and crisis and challenges? That's of our own doing. I think we've added layers that make it more complicated. If we peel back and remove the layers, we can go back to letting Hashem do His job. But that's my editorial comment aside. But the Gemara says, what is courtship and pursuit? What is it likened to? Someone who's lost something, and now they're searching for it. Now they're searching for it. What do we sing? Someone gets married. What's the song? Why do we greet and wish people at a simcha, particularly in Ufra, for a wedding, a sheva brachas, a lachayim, a vort? Why is the greeting, the expression, simintov umazotov? If you look on top of a tanoim, the document, simintov umazotov. Many ksubas, simintov umazotov. Many wedding invitations, simintov umazotov. What's with the simintov umazotov? Chalka arishon, mazotov. Move on pshutok I understand mazotov. Mazal tov. What is mazal? Mazal. We're wishing this young couple, mazel tov. You're beginning a new life. You're building a new home. We wish you good mazel. May you have good mazel in this marriage, in this courtship, in this new family, in this new home. Mazel tov. May you have good, favorable mazel. Simen tov. What is a simen? Mazel yoyer panem lezug chadash. Chelek hasheni simen tov. Mishulal avanavaton beer. What does it mean? Simen tov. So listen to this insight of the Megid Yosef. In the Sugi of Hashavah Saveda, the Peri Elam Metziah, Ba Metziah, Matzinu Sugim Shanim Shal Simanim. The halacha is, if an object is lost and has a simon, a defining characteristic, a feature, something that the owner would know and could identify, then you're obligated to return it, to announce it, can't simply keep it. And there are, Gemara there in Elam Metziah, lists, delineates different types of simanim, different types of signs, Simen muvak, simen she'enam muvak, simen doraisa, simen derabanan. Not all simanim are created equal. Somebody dropped a hundred dollar bill. So should they have memorized the serial number on the bill? Is the expectation they only get it back if they could tell us the serial number? What if there's a little chalant on the end of the bill? Because they were counting their money as they ate the leftovers on Sunday night. And now they're the only one who knows. Check out that Benjamin. There's a little shtickle. Benjamin's eating a little chalant. 
So is that a good simon? So there's different types of simonim, not all simonim are equal. Perish advarim, shekayem is dargashona shalvados, uberirus, shachin nosan asimonim ubalaveda. So how do we know if this really belongs to you? How well acquainted are you with it? How closely do you know it? How, how easily can you, can you recognize it? So one summon is, I lost a hundred dollar bill. I, I don't remember serial number. I don't remember if it was folded or wrinkled. I don't remember if it was ironed and flat. I don't remember much about it. I, I think I remember the corner was turned down. I don't have much of a tfiyasayin. I don't remember much of a simon. I'm not positive it's mine. That's one low level. Then there's a simon that says, I know that object, that, that's mine. I know it exactly. I know what's on it. I could describe it. I am certain. I have 100% confidence. Not all simonim are equal. And therefore, not all hashava saveda is equal. And that's why, since a shidduch is likened in the Gemara to hashava saveda, the chasen, the boy, in the pursuit of this courtship, should feel, I've lost something. Because it was already proclaimed from heaven, we're meant to be together. It's not that I need to find someone and convince them to marry me. I have a bashert, there's someone out for me. We were once, our souls were once bound together in heaven, we're two halves of a whole, but we were separated at birth, and now I'm looking for my other half. I'm looking to be completed. How will I know? How do I know if that's my other half? The simon. So we wish you simon tov. May it be a simon that you feel confidence and surety that you absolutely are convinced it's yours. May you have no doubt on the simon. May you not be equivocal on the simon. May you not be filled with any. May you feel 100% confident in the simon. She is simon muvak doraisa. She in a mutter makam lasum lasum safiko pickpuk. That when they stand under the chuppah, they should do so with an attitude that simen tov umazel tov. I have a simen. This is my basher. This is my one. I know it. Parenthetically, we also say to a chassan, what's one of the sheva brachas? We wish them the bracha kiganeiden mikedem. May your love ring. May it be as beautiful as ganeiden mikedem. Who got married in ganeiden? Adam and Chava. Why do we wish the marriage be as great as Adam and Chava in Gan Eden? Rav Yanka Leglinsky says, because they didn't have parents or in-laws, there was no one to interfere. We wish you a bracha. <laughs> should have a beautiful marriage. Nobody to interfere. That's what he says. But the bracha I say, when I, when I say this, Sheva bracha, Gan Eden Mikeda means, let me ask you a question, Adam. So today a boy gets, I had a phone call last night with a person who runs a shidduch program. We're working on expanding. We have a great idea for a shidduch initiative. She said that boys get on average 45 resumes a week. A week, 45 resumes. Ridiculous word, ridiculous process. Boys, girls, if they get once every a few months, they're grateful to get one. So Adam, did Adam, Adam get 45 resumes a day? Did he have Shadchanim calling him off the hook? Did he have to choose which profile, which resume? Did he look at the pick? Did he nix the pick? Did he, uh, did he ch- No, Chava. Did Chava sit there waiting by the phone? Maybe Epis will be a boy. Maybe someone will think of me. Maybe I'll get a date. I can't say no. If I say no, they'll never think of me again, even though I know he's not shy. Were Adam and Chava plagued by the shirach process? Adam knew there was one girl literally in the entire world. 
Chava knew there was one boy literally in the entire world. They didn't doubt, they didn't hesitate, they didn't do reference checks and reference phone calls, DNA samples, pharmacy investigations. Adam knew Chava was it. Chava knew Adam was it. We stand there and we give a bracha. Chasen and Kala, may your love feel that you know this is it. Simen Tov, Umazel Tov. May you feel a simen, this is it. 100% confidence, no doubt, certainty. By the way, if you don't rush through it, you could feel that a little bit more. When you have to feel pressure cooker, that you gotta get engaged by a certain date. So how could you have a simen? You can barely remember the name, you don't know how to spell the name. How do you have a simen that this is your bashert if you don't even know much about them? You need to grow to learn the simen. So you could have a simen tov, and then it could be a mazel tov. Anyway, I don't know why we're talking all about marriage today, but if you have to speak at uh, someone Sheva Brachas, we're giving you some good stuff. Okay. Hashev Teshivim. So, Hashem Teshivim, Hashavas Aveda. Said the Orachayim, Hashavas Aveda, if you return an object, all the more so, return a soul that's lost. Says the Megid Yosef, Hashavas Aveda is the attitude we have when it comes to Shiduchim. And that's why we say, Simen Tov. If you say this word at a Sheva Brachas, at a word at a Afraf, nobody knows why we say Simen Tov. You're gonna be, you're gonna, you're gonna get oohs and ahs. Not because of me, because of the Megid Yosef, of Yosef Surotskin. Okay, weiter. You don't seem nearly as impressed or as excited as I am. You don't deserve to say it. You don't deserve the Uzanaz. I hereby take it back. Chav Bez Dalet. Lo siras chamor achicho sharon oflim baderach v'salam tamehem hakem takim imo. You cannot see the ox of the donkey of your brother or his ox falling on the road and hide yourself. You have to help him up. Same thing, same thing. Tell an incredible story that happened last week. A young man from our community was riding his bicycle across the TTB, Yeshiva, across Palmetto Park Road. He was riding his bicycle as he does every morning going to school. And a deranged man who had recently been released from prison attacked him on his bicycle. Started attacking him, punching him. And a stranger stopped his car, pulled over, pulled the man off of him until the police came. The police had to tase the man. That's how deranged he was. And put, him in, and put him in prison, and thank God this young man physically is okay, but you can imagine, is traumatized by that incident. Hakeem Takimimo. What a hero. I, I don't know who that man is. I, we, we should find his identity and honor him at a kiddush at the shul. I don't know if he was Jewish, non-Jewish, saw the boy's yarmulke. So I have a very simple question for you. Would you pull over? Would you pull over and jump in harm's way and pull a deranged man off a child? I'll ask you a much simpler question. You're driving on the road. This one happens all the time. Someone's got a flat, someone has a dead battery. Do you look the other way because you don't want to see, because you don't want to live with the guilt? Hakeim takimimo. Torah says, you can't be hisalam to mehem. Again, Judaism doesn't believe in a society where you're good because you didn't run over somebody. You're good when you didn't close your eyes to someone who needs you. Hakeim takimimo. You have to help them. You have to help somebody. That's the world that we live in. It's the world that we live in. For the most part, we do beautifully. This is the story, it's a true story, about a non-Jew who kept a yarmulke in his glove compartment, lived in New York, and his friend asked him, you're not Jewish, why do you have a yarmulke in your glove compartment? And he said, because if I ever get a flat tire or a battery, I know that if I put that on, someone's gonna stop and help me. I know that. So he keeps it. He, that was before Chaveirim and Hatzalah and all that other, we've now formalized it with phone numbers and keychains and walkie-talkies, but even before that, Hopefully, the way the world thought of us was that a Yid gets a flat tire, 
a stranger, another Jew, sees that. Hakem takimimo. Now the Pasuk says, you can't look away, you have to help. Hakem takim, what's the most important word? Imo. Kliyakar talks all about this in Hechus I think we talked about it last year, so I won't repeat it, with him. If he's sitting in a recliner next to his broken down car, sipping a pina colada, and he wants you to come and bend down and jack up the car and change the tire while he sips the pina colada and checks Instagram, then you're not obligated to stop and help him. Hakem takim, imo. The Kliyakar says the same issue with Staka. The guy who sits back and says, you know, everyone sends Staka. I started a GoFundMe. I started a GoFundMe. Everybody transfer your money into my account. I'm going to sit back and sip a pina colada. Even when it comes to stuff, you help a person who's trying to help themselves. If someone's not trying to help themselves, then we're not obligated to try to help them. We help those who try to help themselves. So I want to share with you an insight from the Kutzker, from a brand new book that came out from my dear friend, Rabbi Moshe Shaket, our own Rabbi Shaket here at PRS, head of school of Hadar High School for Girls. Brand new. This is hot off the press. Ouch. Rabbi Moshe Shaket. It's a brand new book, Timeless Torah, Inspiring Messages from the Parsha. Short, very short, beautiful, timeless messages. You can buy it on Amazon. I don't get a piece of it, but you could get it on Amazon. Beautiful new safer, a timeless Torah. You know how I know it's good? I know it's good because there's a beautiful haskama in the beginning from the Rabbi of Booker Tom Synagogue. Anyway, it's a great safer, timeless Torah. And you'll get different beautiful vortlach to say in the Parsha every week. You can get it on Amazon. Shkoch and Simen Tov and Mazel Tov to Rabbi Shaket. So he says on this Pasuk, Rashi says on the words, Emo with him, if the owner of the fallen animal stands idly by and tells the person who comes to help him should lift the animal up by himself, tis mitzvah, person's not obligated. Person who wants to help is only required to help. If the owner is Emo with him, the owner has to do some of the work as well. The Kutzka Rebbe in Oel Torah points out that the same way a person doesn't have to help if the owner himself isn't helping. Similarly, Hashem only helps those who help themselves. Emo. The Gemara Shabbos Kovdal teaches, Habali Tahir, Messiah Oso. Once a person begins making an effort and changing themselves, then and only then will Hashem step in. You sit back and you say, Hashem, I want to wake up tomorrow morning thin. Hashem, I want to wake up tomorrow morning and download Shas in my head. Hashem, I want to wake up tomorrow morning and make me never get angry. Make me not feel jealous or envious. It doesn't work that way. We don't have wishes and dreams. We make resolutions to change. So only habali tire. Make the effort. We have a resolution. We have a plan. We take that first step. He meets us halfway, more than halfway, and he helps us. It's easy for us to make excuses why we can't change. As the Kutzka Rebbe teaches us, writes Rabbi Shaket, well, Hashem will help us along the way. Change must begin with us. There's no better time than Elul to take ownership of who we are and who we want to be. Once we gain that clarity, Hashem will be there with us each step of the way. Short, beautiful, thoughtful, inspiring, each of these insights. The Kutzker says, Hakem takim imo. Hakem takim imo. Just like we only have to help someone who's helping themselves, Hashem only helps us when we help ourselves. The Dalai Lama once bought a hot dog from a vendor in Manhattan, and he gave the vendor a $5 bill, and the vendor didn't get back any change. So the Dalai Lama asked him, what happened to my change? And the vendor said, change begins within. He didn't even laugh, nothing, <laughs> nothing. Anyway, change has to begin within. Change has to begin within. Hakeim takim, I don't know why I bother. At least the people online don't disappoint me. I can't even see them. I don't know they're not laughing. I don't know they're not excited. Ay. Anyway. 
got to bring the granola bars back. You guys need a little something. Perachav Beis Pasakei. Many would skip this Pasuk today's time because, again, it's politically incorrect, difficult, but I'm a very big believer that, and I think there's a vacuum of voices who are courageously, sensitively, respectfully, but accurately standing up to represent Hashem's vision for this world as the world around us is increasingly confused and chaotic and unfamiliar and unrecognizable, we need for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren to stop and say, this is what we believe. We respect, we love, we make space, we're sensitive, but this is what we believe and we're not apologetic and we're not defensive for it. We have to be able to read this Pasuk without lowering our voice. A woman can't wear man's clothing, a man can't wear a woman's clothing. Because that's repulsive to God. That's an abomination to Hashem. Now, there are many things that are an abomination to Hashem. In our parsha also we have dishonest weights and measures are an abomination. We can't selectively invoke abomination. Some people selectively and very hatefully invoke abomination. Right? There are segments of the community who call certain people. They are the toevas. That's horrific. It's terrible. We don't label people a toeva. And we don't selectively invoke toeva. You know what a toeva is? If you cheat in business, you're a toeva. If we want to call anyone a toeva, it should be criminals. People who cheat, who are dishonest on their taxes, who are indicted, supposedly religious Jews, who are dishonest in business, that's a toeva. You want to call anyone a toeva? Call them a toeva. But we don't call anyone a toeva. We call behavior toeva. So the Torah says, if you blur the boundaries between male and female, masculine and feminine, Hashem says, that's a toeva to me. I set up the world in such a way. I designed the world that there's an equilibrium and a balance. The world needs masculinity and femininity. And when you blur that boundary and you erase that important difference, you, the world is imbalanced. It's a problem, you've corrupted the world. Hashem says, I need you to preserve it. I want you to preserve it. And if you don't, it's a toeva to me. Not the people, but the behavior of not, of not maintaining that boundary, of not maintaining that boundary. Today, we're living in a society that says, if you believe in boundaries, you're the toeva. If you think that certain dress or modes of behavior or public acts are inappropriate, society says, you're the toeva. But we should unapologetically and not defensively stand up and say, we believe in God's vision for this world. We'll defend it. We'll advocate for it. And we have no problem saying it, that we have masculinity and femininity. That doesn't mean that there aren't feminine men or masculine women. But, but on the whole, we know what those qualities are and we care about them. And the Torah doesn't see one as better than the other. And we don't offer apologetics to describe one as better. They're equal, but different roles. And we need both. I, I used to, when I would say this, I used to say that just like physically, it's undeniable that there are differences. So too spiritually, it's undeniable there are differences. I used to say, and people would nod their heads, yes, because that's obvious and easy to understand that just like biologically and anatomically we have differences, so too spiritually we have differences in different roles. No matter how badly a man, this is when the women start to shake their head at me, so let's just pretend it's hypothetical. But no matter how badly a man says, I desperately want to know the experience of carrying a child within me. I desperately want to know the experience of nourishing a baby from my own body. So, but biology and science say, too bad, 
I'm sorry that you want that. I'm sorry that you wish you had it, but you were built differently. That's not your tafka, that's not your role, and it's undeniable because that's your body. I, I used to be able to say that and people would, would nod their heads and that was easy and obvious to understand, but the world around us is changing. Says Reb Nachman, and it's not only true about clothing and dress, that we have a difference and a distinction, and that we maintain the two genders, which you have two genders in the human species, two genders in the animal kingdom, there's even two genders in plant life, there are two genders across everything. Zachar unekeva baram. The Almighty who created the world created Zachar Unekeva, masculine and feminine across all of creation. And we have an obligation to preserve it, to maintain it, to keep the balance of it, to enforce it, and to, uh, and to promote it. But it's not only true for dress, it's true for behavior. It changes, this part is somewhat changes with society, but can a man color his hair? The Gemara asks, can a man look in the mirror? Looking in the mirror and caring about one's appearance was a feminine quality. Can men also look in the mirror? I'm very strict. I don't, I don't make my hair up in the mirror. Very strict. This is not only a halachic concept, but there's a meta-halachic idea that comes from here. Rab Nachman writes in Likutei Me'aran, Chelek Alasim and Chaf, Tzorach Ladas Masa Le'eshtamesh B'midus HaRachamim V'Harakos, U'masa Le'echos B'mita we know that masculine and feminine include not only anatomy and biology, but also, and we're speaking broadly, certain character traits. A woman, how do you say a womb in Hebrew? A rechem. Why is a womb called a rechem? Why is a womb a uterus called a rechem? Because rachamim, there's a maternal instinct, there's a maternal compassion, there's a maternal love. There's the love of a mother, which goes beyond anything else. Are there terrible mothers? Yes. Are there incredibly loving and affectionate fathers? Yes. Is it right or wrong to say men are taller than women? It's an accurate statement, men are taller than women. It doesn't mean that there aren't some women that are taller than most men, or men that are shorter than most women, but on the whole, it's accurate to say men are taller than women. So it's also accurate to say that women are more compassionate, midasarachamim, they have and they bear within themselves literally a rechem. And men are more midas adin, are more exacting, more strict justice. The Torah expresses this when it comes to the mitzvah of kibbut av ve'em. When it comes to honoring a father and mother, who comes first? Kibbut av ve'em. When it comes to fear, awe, who comes first? Mother. Why? Chazal tell us. Because your mother, who takes care of you when you're sick, makes you chicken soup and tucks you into bed and buys your favorite desserts and cares so much about you and forgives you and loves you and showers affection on you, you're going to tend to honor her, but you're not going to necessarily fear her. So the Torah has to say first the mother, because you need to know that woman that you're so comfortable and casual with, who's so affectionate and doting and loving to you, you also have to have some healthy fear and awe of. Your father, who he's the one you're afraid to come home when you bring that bad report card. Your mother, but your father's the one that you fear. So you don't need to be told fear your father, but you know what? You may not want to honor your father because he's the one who wakes you up and schleps you to shul and holds you accountable for your report card and makes you earn your own money and pay your... So the father, the Torah has to say, kibbut av comes first, honor your father. So built into the Torah halachas is this difference 
between the genders. Sometimes we need to invoke gvura, might and strength and justice. Sometimes we need to invoke flexibility and compassion and rachamim. These are different qualities, male and female. And we need to know when to put on which wardrobe and which garb. You're not allowed to mix the two. There's an appropriate time for each. The of HaKach, Rabbi Nassan, Rabbi Nachman's two student, Rabbi Nassan writes in the Kutei Alachos, She'adavar Ramaz B'Pasak, that this is hinted to in our Pasak. Yeshna man hagoshim yuchadus ligvaram, man hagoshim yuchadus linashim. There are practices which are masculine and there are practices which are feminine. And we need to know when to invoke which. There are times that even the man needs to act feminine, the time that women need to ask masculine. But we need to know which are masculine and which are feminine qualities. Davening, for example, Times for each, and we need to know when. Salavichik, I believe, others explained the halacha. There's a halacha that a woman can't be a judge. A woman can't be a judge in a beisden. Only men can be dayan, and women can't. Wise, discriminate. We don't trust their judgment. They're not as smart. We're biased. No. There was an exception. Dvora Tosas already asks, how could she have been a shofetas, a judge? Why was she the exception? Why was she an exception? But um, some explain, what do you have to do to be a judge? You have to shut off your compassion to a degree. Doesn't mean you're entirely a cold-hearted, uncompassionate person. But a judge is about knowing the law, adjudicating the law, and applying the law. It's not about two people present, two litigants, but I feel so bad for that one. They have so much less. They're suffering so much more. They have such more hardship. I, I, I just want to side with them. So you say, what, a woman's not capable of shutting off her compassion? A woman's not capable of invoking the strict law? The answer is, of course she is. Of course she is. But we don't want her to. We don't want her to. There are different qualities, and we need them to follow those different qualities. According to the Torah, a man goes out to war, not a woman. Do we want a man having a rechem on his way out to war? Soldier on the other side? The soldier who's holding a, a missile launcher and facing it into your country against your civilians. At that moment, do we want you having compassion? But I feel so bad. Maybe the soldier had a rough child. Maybe the enemy had a rough childhood. Maybe his mother wasn't nice to him. Maybe he was deprived. Maybe it was tough. He didn't have a bed to sleep in. How could I, how could I do this? Now the soldier in that moment has to be able to shut off their compassion and follow through on the order of what they need to do. So in order, this is part of the, how we manifest these different qualities of the different genders for those different roles. One's not better or worse. It has nothing to do with discrimination or bias. It has to do with preserving those innate qualities because the world needs those roles. And that's what Rabbi Nachman is saying is this Pasuk, this Pasuk, that we have to not apologize and not hide, not erase, not censor, not cancel. This is Hashem's vision for this world. That we have separate dress, separate behavior, separate qualities. Again, doesn't mean there aren't exceptions to the rule, but on the whole, we need the equilibrium and balance between the two. What else can we sneak in here? Let's sneak in and drop more. Uh, let's sneak in and drop more.
Remember what Amalek did to you. The very end of the parsha, Zechir is Amalek. Some suffer holds if a person didn't hear Amal, didn't hear parsha Zachar before Purim. You could listen carefully. If it's a leap year, it's complicated. It's thirteen months later. You didn't hear Zachar within the one twelve months. How you fulfill it? Zachar is Asher Salach Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to us. Why is the word Lacha? It should say Zachor, Es Asher Amalek. Remember what Amalek did. Why does it say Lacha to you? Why Lacha? Rizedel Epstein. Rizedel Epstein is Haaros, Mashkiach of Torah. Or says, you see that Lacha means each and every one of us. There is that voice inside each and every one of us of Amalek. What's the voice of Amalek? A footner says, Amalek is Koach HaChilul. Amalek is Asher Korcha Baderach, our parsha says. Korcha Milashan Kor. You were on fire. You were charged. You were inspired. You went to the Hisbodidus on the beach last week and it changed your life. You found God. You found the capacity to have a conversation with Hashem. You discovered your ability to be with yourself and know yourself. You were on fire. And then the next day someone said, ah, that's stupid. You went to the beach, that thing. Here's a hundred reasons why it's dumb. They, they doused your fire. They extinguished your fire. That was Amalek. We were on fire. We were invigorated. We were excited. We were enthused. And they splashed cold water on our fire. They put out our fire. Koach hachilol. They're mechalel, profane, everything that we believe is holy. So, says Rav Zedel Epstein, Zachor is asher Amalek. When we read this section of the Shabbos, we're not invoking history. We're not remembering something that happened in the past. It's lacha. We all have that voice also. Cynicism, sarcasm, that voice that says, don't take it too seriously. Put out the fire. Because if we maintain that fire, what it will mean for our lives? So put out the fire. Lacha. The danger and the threat of Amalek looms for each and every one of us. And the answer, the antidote is to fight. To erase that impact and influence of Amalek and to persevere in this month of Elul, to want to draw close to our Father, just like the Yifas Tawar, to cry out, Da Elul, this is Elul, to cry out and to want to come home. Continue tomorrow morning with Mr. Sisharim, living with Amuna. Tomorrow night, big 100th episode, Behind the Bima, be joined by Eitan Katz. Tomorrow night, 100th episode, you don't want to miss it. You actually can email in or call in, you can email or call in your favorite moments. Uh, you can email behindthebeam at gmail.com. Who was your favorite guest? What was your favorite moment? We're going to read or share it all on the 100th episode. Our listeners and our audience's favorite guests, favorite moments, favorite conversations, favorite episodes at behindthebeamah at gmail.com. Till next time. First of all, wake up. Second of all, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.